Hey there, welcome to the Clyde Podcast. I'm so glad that you are hopping on. If you're new to this podcast, if you end up loving it, you can subscribe and it will be in your inbox every single week. If you hop on and hang out with me on the weekly, I'm so glad you do. You're about to hear an interview that I did with Sharman Kimbrough, who's a counselor and a relationship coach who currently works with the Marriage Recovery Center based in Seattle, Washington, but she herself lives in Raleigh, North Carolina, where she coaches. And she shares in this interview, not only her personal story of how she got into this work, but we cover the gamut of things that happen in marriage relationships, including power struggles and arguments that recur over and over and over again. If you're married, you know what I'm talking about. We talk about communication and the best advice she has to give in relationships. We talk about so many things. And so my hope is that you will be encouraged that transformation is possible. Collaboration is possible in marriage. So check out this interview with Sherman. Charmin, it's so good to hang out with you today. I feel like we're worlds apart, and yet here we are sitting together. You're in North Carolina? Yes, yes. And thank you so much for having me today. This is fun. Yeah, it'll be totally fun. We're, we're, uh, I'm in the Pacific Northwest, so, um, it's amazing that we get to sit down and, and be together and talk. Thank God for modern technology, I suppose. You are a counselor and a relationship coach, and I have a million questions for you because I think so many of us listening are like, oh man, I could really use some coaching advice in some of my relationships. Mm -hmm. How did you get into this work before we dive into some of my questions I have for you? Uh, My journey, my life journey took me to a place where Me doing what I'm doing now, coaching people, is God redeeming my story, using the experiences that I've had, um, learning to know Him and trust Him and walk in Him despite all the chaos, um, to just be in this place where it makes me um, have a valid voice, so to speak, to speak into the lives of people that are dealing with the same kind of chaos. So I actually... um, I do operate, I am trained as a counselor, but I just operate as a coach because it allows me the freedom to um, move about the country, so to speak, allows me the freedom to talk to people and and to talk to people about God. But also because my focus in life is so much the the solution-focused sense of, okay, here's what we've got left to work with, here's where we are. There's where we want to try to get to. What do we need to do to get there? And so that's that plays into the work that I do, plays into my mentality, how I have learned to recover and find some resilience in my own story as well. Mm. It's always amazing to me how God seems to use people in this world that are impacting others, and He's using the people who needed a redemption story. and. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I think so often when I talk to women, a lot of them feel called to do big things in the world, but then they second guess themselves because of their brokenness, because of the pain, because of the inadequacies and the mess that they've felt in their past. And yet here I'm talking to you and once again, hearing about a woman who it's because of God's redemption in your life that you're able to do what you've done Mm -hmm. because you needed him because you needed his healing and his rescue and his goodness in your in your life yeah that he's now using you which is so beautiful yeah and the funny thing is is i never wanted to do big things like i was quite content to be to live a life pretty much in hiding but just um not being seen not like I was content not having necessarily a voice that was out there meaning anything to anyone. And so I, I think part of the redemption story has been God awakening in me, just this sense of this is something really big that I'm honored to be a part of that I never knew that I wanted. Mm. So you were content in hiding. What did God do to basically invite you out of hiding into stepping into your calling? So again, it's a really long story. Started in my childhood. I I grew up in a home that was very legalistic Christian. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say cult, but like men were the gods of the family. And um, my dad was a, a fairly angry, controlling, violent person. And so I I left home when I was sixteen because of him. And, um, and I never looked back. So that was kind of a God taking me out of that environment. Cause at the time I knew this wasn't just about rebellion or about, um, you know, rejecting anything at home. It was that I knew I could no longer survive in that. And so God opened a door. I stepped into it to leave as a 16 year old. And so I finished out high school, went to college. So I grew up in the in the Pacific Northwest. I actually grew up in Pasco. Um, I went to college oh, yeah. in Texas, which um, that was a, like Texas is a country of its own. <laughs> so, you know, it got me out of that environment. And th- in so many ways, I I really felt like it was me and God against the world. Like he had rescued me from um, the childhood that I'd had. I was grounded and stable and, you know, at least knew I needed to finish college. And so I think in a sense, you know, that um, that sense of tr- being fine, being small was that that's how I had to um, survive. Like no one really understood what I was dealing with as a 16 year old not living at home anymore. And, um, you know, so I didn't really care that anyone else, I didn't have the wherewithal to care whether anyone else heard me or spoke into that or whatever. Um, I was, I felt pretty grounded and and I trusted God. So that was the thing is like, I knew God would always take care of me. And then um, I met my first husband when I was at college and um, and thought I had chosen well because I married a preacher's kid. And, um, you know, I'd always been taught that you want to be equally yoked when you get married. And that meant that he's a, you know, a Christian and um, you're going to live this godly family. and. Um, we were we were married about 13 years and he started telling me he wanted a divorce. And so the last 6 years of our marriage, 
um, I had to wrestle through a lot of a lot of stuff, um, namely arguing with God because I trusted him when he gave me to this man that, you know, I would have a marriage that was going to last forever and it was going to be a godly marriage where, you know, if anything ever went wrong, we would be we would be quick to turn to God to help us through it. And at the time, we were both on the worship team at church and um, lots of details that were just messy. But at the end of the day, he chose not to stay married. And so the last six years of our marriage, um, he I think he had already decided that he was done and and so treated me like it. So I had six years technically with him still at home. Uh, with me wrestling with God about what he was doing, because I trusted him, right? So wrestling with God about what he was doing with my life and wondering if I could really trust him and arguing a lot with just like trying to um, trying to wrestle with how when you read scripture and it says, when you trust God, he takes care of you. He protects you. He makes things right. And translating that to my experience where nothing looked right, I didn't look taken care of, I didn't feel like his eyes were on me. Um, so trying to understand what it really means to be surrendered to God when there's nothing about life that looks like it's supposed to. And I think for me that that ended up being like, I already trusted God. But this was such a huge transition in my journey to a whole different level because now I was asking myself, well, if I trust God, why am I so freaked out about what's going to happen next? Why am I in such anguish and distress and anxiety and fear and all these things that come along with, you know, your world not being what you thought it was going to be? So, um, so I had to walk through all of that um, by the time... We were separated actually the last two years of that. And by the time he filed for divorce, um, I had essentially walked through this whole journey of, you know, how do I make this right to how do I find out what God is asking of me and trust him to make it right, even when that looks like that I'm going to be divorced and a single mom of two little boys with no real education or a job outside the home. So had to deal with all that at the same time. That's when I finished my master's degree in professional counseling. And then um, 2015 is when I started actually do stepping into this role of doing what I'm doing now. Mm. Wow. Crazy story. I, it, it sounds crazy. like you've been through so much and yet you've learned so much and now God is using all you've learned to pour into other people. You now help couples find sanity and clarity in emotionally and spiritually destructive relationships. And I'm kind of curious if you can help us understand the definition of a spiritually and emotionally destructive relationship. So on one hand, I think it's totally self-explanatory. On the other hand, I'm very confused why it's not so self-explanatory. But a spiritually and emotionally destructive relationship is, is this is why I think it's common sense, you know, easily to understand, easy to understand, is that it's anything that's bringing death to your soul. And so a relationship in which God is used 
to speak condemnation and accusation and shame over someone to get them to conform to something that is spiritual abuse. It's the same thing on an emotional level to use any kind of um, any kind of language that is about coercing someone, um, not making room for their soul to show up and learn and live is destructive. So if it's not constructive, it's not building up or bringing life, then it's bringing death. And that's what um, an emotionally and spiritually destructive um, in general terms, what that means, but it is using using anything, one person using anything as a means to get someone else to conform to what that person wants at the other person's expense. Mm. So I tell people all the time that when you take free will out of the picture, the freedom to choose who you are, to ha- to think, to believe, to whatever your values are, like when you take that freedom out of the picture everything ceases to have meaning. Hmm. Like that's what gives it meaning. Are people in a emotionally and spiritually destructive relationship and they don't even realize it? Oh, I think it's way more common. I think it takes, sometimes takes years to really awaken to it because, you know, sometimes it takes years to recognize that your own soul is being destroyed. And so I I've worked with so many people who've been married 40 years, married 40 years, and just awakened to the fact that there was a name for what they're feeling, that this wasn't normal, that there's been so much um, so much brokenness in their relationship that they never had a name for before. But I think it takes a long time, especially because when we are young and immature and have no idea really all the nuances of life, we come into marriage, one, expecting it to be hard. Like we know it's going to be hard and that we have a lot to learn and, you know, but there's also an expectation that we're going to figure this out along the way. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of us that have you know, strong work ethic or strong character qualities of loyalty or stick-to-itiveness, we're like, well, we'll figure this out. I, we can figure this out. I'll figure this out. Like, we'll just keep trying and trying and trying. But then there comes a point where you just can't anymore. And that's when you start to realize something was very wrong the whole time. It's why I love the experience that a person or a couple can have in a counseling or coaching office, because sometimes when you begin to describe your experience and you are even unaware of what exactly it is, someone else can give you a name for it. And then Mm -hmm. you begin to recognize that it's not just a one-time thing, but it's your reality that you're experiencing this thing. You know, I know women who feel constantly hammered. And when they go in and begin to describe what's happening, it's not just being hammered or being condescended, but they're actually experiencing emotional abuse from someone Mm -hmm. constantly telling them that they're a pile of garbage. But sometimes it helps someone else to sort of hold up a mirror and and name what's going on for you. Yeah. You specialize in working with couples with high conflict. And I've been married for almost 25 years. And I mean, we have conflict all the time. It could be about something as simple as, 
you know, my husband does the dishes and he doesn't want anyone to put dishes in the left side of the sink. Um, and when we do it, it drives him nuts. And I have my things that I bring up too. So conflict is fairly normal in marriage, but mm-hmm. how would you identify if you're experiencing um, marriage with high conflict versus sort of like normal conflict? I think the the one difference, the biggest difference, and this is actually the key to a healthy relationship, is whether or not there is room to collaborate on a solution. So if the conflict is always just about arguing over who's right, whose way is best, um, what should happen, like if it's always about rules and expectations and dysfunction, there's never going to be a resolution to it. And so the key to healthy conflict resolution, the key to dealing in a healthy way with any kind of conflict, which is, like you said, totally inevitable in any relationship, is Mm -hmm. can you work together to find a solution that works for you? Like, regardless of what you've been taught, like we have Google right at our fingertips to give us all kinds of information about new things to try, regardless of whether or not we've had healthy stuff modeled to us. And there's way fewer moral absolutes about how to do things than than we actually think about. But if we can stop long enough and go, okay, wait a minute, here's what I'm bringing to the table. This thing that happened is telling me something needs to change. Well, what needs to change? And can we talk about that together so that we can find something that works for us? So the, the couples that get stuck in high conflict, normally what I see is it's always a power struggle. There's no sense whatsoever of being able to take what you've got to work with to make something. It's all about one person conforming to what the other person wants. How do couples move out of that place of being stuck in the power struggle where neither of them want to give in to the other? Yeah, it's hard. They, I mean, that's the key is they have to want to, and it's not give in to the other. It's like Mm -hmm. build something with the other. Mm. Um, I think it keeps it in the context of power struggle when you talk in terms of compromise and giving in or giving up, that's still power struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. I would, I, when, when I start hearing a couple talk in terms of collaboration, you know, what, what can we build together making room for that? Then that's how they will get out of it. But the key is desire. If they, if they don't want to give up their power and control and status, there's no conflict resolution because it will be about the other person giving in. There's no, there is no building anything. It's a conformity thing. So, so yeah, reframing things in those kinds of terms Um, Which is hard because some people cannot get beyond um, the idea that there's an authority structure here. There's a status here that is more important than the connection. Hmm. 
It's really interesting because I I'm just thinking about your personal experience in your family as a female with males and and your father and thinking about relationships I know where it almost seems like this sort of power struggle that happens in relationship. There's someone who often is the person who identifies with always having to bow to the other person who has more mm-hmm. power and just given or, or you don't want to deal with conflict in your peacemaker. So when the person with more power is unhappy, you just give in to them, even though you don't agree with what they're saying or what they want or what they're requiring, but you don't want to be in a power struggle. So you give in and they continue to have the power. Mm-hmm. It seems like there's often this, this, not just two people fighting for power, but there's often someone who just always gives in to power. Is that right. is that true? Are you seeing that in people's relationships? Oh yeah. And I think especially from the Christian perspective, we're taught that. You know, as women, we are taught that our job is to conform. Our job is to be silent and not to have a voice, not to, and I'm not saying that we as women need to go about, you know, strutting our own power, but that isn't a love relationship. That isn't. A love relationship is reciprocity and mutuality and freedom. Two people back to back, swords out, fighting an enemy together. And so it's a very different it's a very different picture, but we are taught culturally, we are taught religiously to that women are especially to be the, the silent partners, the ones who play the supportive role that are there to make life easy for their spouse. And, you know, I, I believe that God did create us to be um, to make life easier for our spouse, but not in the not in the sense that they've made it this authority structure in the sense that in some regard, a man is more important to God than women are. Um, there's I read years ago, I think it was in John Eldridge's book, Wild at Heart. He talked about the word Ezra Konegdo that is translated in the Old Testament um, into helper, where the verse that God, where God said, um, it's not good for man to be alone, so I will create a helper for him. That word helper um, originally is um, in the Hebrew, Ezra Konegdo. I probably am totally butchering the pronunciation, but that's what it looks like. (laughs) It's okay. You're in good company. Okay. (laughs) But... um, this is a word that, um, according to John Eldridge, is only otherwise used in Scripture to describe the Holy Spirit as a helper, with the context being in the heat of a battle when a man is at a loss to do anything else to save himself. So a helper in the sense that it is a, that a woman is created as a life-giving influence. Not just does the dirty work, not just keeps the house neat and the children obedient and the bed warm, but a life-giving influence, way more inspirational than what we're taught within the church. Hey friends, as a special thank you for listening to our podcast. 
we wanted to give you all $10 off your tickets to our Meant for More conference on March 3rd. At this conference, we will be hearing from Maddie Pruitt-Trout, Candy West, and Willow Weston. We are so excited to hear from these incredible women. So follow the ticket link in our show notes. Use code PODCAST at checkout and the discount is yours. Thank you so much for tuning in every week, and we hope to see you at the conference. You know, I'm I when I thought about talking to you, I was thinking about things I see in other people's marriages, things I've experienced in my own, and there's this thing that sort of happens in marriage where the you go through a season where the air is so thick with tension. And it almost feels like because you've you're so bitter or there's so much conflict or you haven't repaired a major conflict that you could start arguing over whether or not like cheddar cheese or Swiss cheese is better and get angry. And I'm curious what that is, that that thing where the air is so tense Mm -hmm. that you could like cut it with a knife. I think I think it's so easy for us to move in self into self-protective hiding. So when there's been offenses that have been built up or especially where we don't see that we've been seen or hurt like we feel like it doesn't matter how we show up we're going to be misrepresented or misjudged or you know it's going to be misconstrued we see that we're not known which immediately translates to unloved. And when we feel unloved and alone, so easy to move into self-protection, which looks like arguing over everything, right? When, when I believe that my spouse does, does not know me, is thinking wrongly of me, and is saying it out loud, and there's no room for me to say, look, you've got me wrong in this moment. I can't connect to that. And so I'm going to be self-protective. I'm going to go, I'm going to get really shallow, right? I'm only going to live according to a little bit of a facade probably because I'm not willing to put my heart out there to someone who refuses to see it for what it is, whatever that means, whatever level of... Um, stuff that has been piled up. So that I think that's what makes it easy to argue about everything because it's like, it's the it's coming out somewhere. <laughs> the mm-hmm. angst is going to come out somewhere. And so to argue over the cheese or the door being open or the cat sitting on the couch or whatever it is, those are just things that are safer to point to in the moment when really it probably indicates there's a lot of unresolved angst going on. There's definitely disconnection going on because you can't connect it to a facade. I was on a walk with a girlfriend this week and she's been married longer than I have. And so here's two ladies who've been married for decades. And we started kind of realizing that a lot of arguments that happen in our relationships and our girlfriend's relationships are almost arguing over low level stuff, but it's the same thing for years and years. Like the same argument about laundry, the same argument about Mm. dishes or the toothpaste or um, the in-laws or the parenting of the kids. And what actually seems to make people crack is are we really still arguing about this same thing we've been Mm. arguing about Mm -hmm. for years? Why can't we get past these things that seem so small, but instead we just keep 
keep fighting about them. What is that that happens in marriage where it's almost like a broken record of arguments? Well, and I think that would be another example of um, having an easy target, so to speak, to bring out to the open. Like it would be safer to argue, always repeatedly argue about the toothpaste. When in reality, there's probably something way deeper under that that is the real issue. So a lot of times when I'm working with couples who are arguing over things like that that have been ongoing forever, it's like, why can't you just? (laughs) Well, I could just, but for some reason, there's something getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Something or, you know, some of those things just they're represent represented, sorry, (laughs) representative of bigger issues. And so it's worth just saying, well, how about we set that thing aside and start digging a little deeper? And um, yeah, it's it's not the little things like that that actually are the point. There's almost always something underneath, but it feels less threatening to say, to talk about the surface level stuff with the hope that, well, if we resolve this, maybe I can feel safe enough. It'll show me I might be safe enough to go, you know, expose something that's a little bit more meaningful. But Do it's you have actually go to advice on how to get to the deeper root of the issue in those moments where you're not just staying in this lower level toothpaste or dishes argument? Like, are there some like key questions to ask your spouse or, uh, you know, a word or a phrase to say to kind of get from like what we're pretending this is about to what this might actually be about? Mm hmm. I I think the caveat to that is if if either one of um the people in that relationship do not trust their spouse with their words or with their heart like they know they have to be protective for whatever reason it doesn't really matter how you ask it it's still it's still a dangerous situation mm-hmm. so you know I think I think it's important to pay attention to that context. But if you have two two people who are trying to stay together, they are really trying to build a relationship and they just have really poor skills in doing that, some of the questions you can ask are, you know, I, I would really like to know what you're thinking underneath that. Like, I don't really think it's about this issue. I want to know what else is going on. And, and I promise I'm going to listen right now without taking offense to what you say. I think that's important because... One of the things that um, is the biggest hang up is when someone shares what they're feeling, it's really easy for the other person to take that as an offense. It means something about their identity or their worth or their value when you're just sharing what you felt about something. So being willing to not take offense, making room to share things without taking offense is big. But I think too, presentation does make a difference. And most often, we we point to what we don't like and think that by pointing it out, there's going to be change. But usually pointing out what we don't like or what happened that hurt us or whatever, it lands as an accusation, which, you know, that means they took offense to it. And more likely than not, just ends up in another fight again and again and mm-hmm. again. So 
if presentation is everything, um, if we can stop for a moment and go, okay, wait a minute, what is this feeling, the hurt or the anger or the angst, whatever it is, what is it telling me I really need to have be different so that when I make my presentation, so to speak, my confrontation about the thing I didn't like, I'm coming at it saying, hey, here's something I've learned about myself or about us or about, or even just something I was thinking about that would make life be easier. Can we do this instead? Or could you say this instead? Or whatever the request needs to be for that moment so that you're starting from a point of inviting a collaboration rather than inviting a defense. Um, If you come out of the gate just talking about what they did, for example, they're immediately going to defend themselves. That's not what I meant. You saw it wrong, (laughs) right? And then you're just in an argument. I love that, inviting collaboration rather than defense. That's so good. I'm writing that down, Charmin. I'm going to take that home with me tonight. (laughs) I love it. We talk a lot around here at Collide about the idea that Jesus over and over again runs into our lives. He collides with our lives and desires to bring about healing and redemption and So often, uh, a lot of people are just waiting to wake up on an average Wednesday and have things be better. Mm -hmm. But we invite women all the time to participate in the healing and health that God and you want for your life and not just waiting for it. And so I'm imagining that a lot of couples come to you and they feel maybe hopeless or overwhelmed or toppled by uh, the idea that things could get better, that things could change. It seems like there's probably a lot of reframing that has to happen uh, in your work with them. How do you, you know, give someone hope that change is possible in marriage? Because I'm imagining there's listeners today who feel like, oh man, I'm I'm overwhelmed by the idea of how we can get out of this rut or this pattern or this place Mm. we're stuck in. What's, what's your encouragement for them today? So I always say that healing comes with the journey that again, what makes everything meaningful is our free choice to participate in it. That God in and of himself doesn't just wave a wand over people and say, poof, you're changed. It's in the journey. It's in the the self-discipline of walking life out differently, training in new habits, um, engaging in new ways of thinking and responding, and that that it is about um it is about the journey because that's the point. You know, there's there's no marriage in heaven. At least that's what the Bible says. There's no marriage in heaven, which terrify some people and makes other people really happy, but there's also no (laughs) disconnection in heaven, Um, but there's no marriage in heaven. And so that tells me that marriage in and of itself is not the point. The point is the relationship because that's where we experience God in this world. So connecting, being authentic, coming out of hiding, So when couples get hung up on, you know, if there can be change, I'm like, you're actually changing every day. It's just depends on what you're talking about because we're not done 
growing and learning until we're dead, but it depends on what you're doing with that change. Are you practicing something different? Are you acting in ways that are different towards each other so that there can be new fruit that comes out of your relationship? Because the relationship, the marriage in and of itself is the fruit of the two people doing their work to become different. So um, there's no promise of reconciliation. There's no promise that, you know, this is all going to end up pretty with a bow on top, but there is a promise that our hearts will be restored and that we can know God fully and be found in him. And that is the point. Hmm. Lots to think about there, Sherman. I have one last question for you. I hear you're recently engaged. Is that true? Actually, recently recently married. Yes. So very quick engagement. So yes, recently engaged and recently married. So, um, so yeah, just on a new, a whole new season of the redemption story for me. Um, my, I was divorced in 2013. So, um, you know, it's been it's been a journey of healing, of growth. Um, I actually liked the solitude, <laughs> not dealing with the chaos of another. I mean, I have two sons and two sons that are grown now and out of the house. But at the time, you know, not having to have another man in the house to navigate around anymore, it was actually lovely. However, um, whole new era, whole new twist of the story. So, I got engaged um, the first of June this last summer, and then engaged or uh, married on August 27th. So quick and fast and, and it's good. It's, it's a whole new season. Yeah. Congratulations. Well, I wanted to ask you as we come to a close on this podcast, what's the best advice you give away to couples that you now plan to take into your new marriage? The best advice is always be willing to collaborate, always be willing to look at things differently. Part of the joy of the human life is um, creativity and resilience and building things. So I think, you know, just being willing to look at things differently and not just stay stuck on old things that didn't work. Let's find a way to make things work and let it be an adventure. Let it be something good that you're building together. Mm, so good. Sherman, how can people connect with you and the work that you do? So I do all of my sessions virtually these days, actually have since 2015, but I, um, I can be found on my website at livefound.org or charmankimbro.com. Both go to the same place at the moment. Um, and I am also, um, with the marriage recovery center out of the Seattle area. So I work on staff with them as well, can be contacted, um, through both organizations and, um, a lot, a lot of the work I do through the marriage recovery center is more marriage oriented. Um, they do have more programs for, um, they have more group programs for men and women, um, individually, and then um, lots of content on there. But I do on my own, through my own practice, also do couples work, but a lot of individual as well. And I'm I'm quite fine. I'm not, I know not every coach or counselor does this, but I 
work easily individually with men and women and um, am able to do joint sessions as well. So I have a lot of couples that do a combination of individual sessions with couples work with me. And um, I know, like I said, I know not everyone can function that way, but for whatever reason I can and I like it. So um, I do a lot of that as well through my own practice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and your wisdom and your work with us today. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey, friend, I hope you enjoyed that conversation that Sharman and I just had. I know for me personally, I loved the wisdom that she suggested when you're experiencing conflict and the same old argument to invite collaboration rather than to invite defense. I know I'm going to be taking that wisdom home with me tonight, and I bet you might have some wisdom you're taking home with you. My encouragement for all of us is that we would remember that Jesus invites us to participate in the health and healing that we desire in our lives. And that looks like work. Sometimes that looks like calling a counselor and getting into the office for yourself or for you and your spouse. Sometimes it looks like stepping out of old identity roles or power struggles or toxic patterns in your life. And we have to participate in that. We have to join in with God to see the transformation we hope take place in our life become a reality. So keep colliding and step into what He's inviting you into. And pretty soon I have a feeling you're going to see some breakthroughs. Catch you later.